What's going on, Orlando City fans? Welcome back to the Lions Blog Podcast. I am your host, Gavin Rushnell, and today we will be previewing the NYCFC match on Tuesday at 8 p.m. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Cappy's Subs. You can order over the phone at 407-647-9099 or online at cappyssubsfl.com. Again, that is cappyssubsfl.com, all one word. Please make sure to leave a five-star review, and we will be reading them out in the podcast. And with that, Daniel, how are you doing tonight? Doing great, guys. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Chase, how about yourself? Doing fantastic. Ready to have another great podcast. How are you all doing? Doing pretty good. And Adam, how are you doing? North London is lily white. <laughs> all right. And thank Mine's you for listening crazy. to the episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. We'll talk about... Talk about MLS, talk about Orlando City after what was a rough North London derby for us Arsenal fans. Um, but to kick off the co- today's conversation, uh, I'd like to talk about someone who I feel didn't get much praise, not enough love on the last podcast, but someone who I think will be very important on Tuesday's game, and that is Maurizio Pereira. Um, I'll tell you why I think he's important in a second, but first, Chase, I want to know how important you think he'll be on Tuesday and why. Yeah, I mean, Mauricio Pereira, it's well known that he's like, maybe other than Nani, he's definitely probably our best player on the team. Uh, he's a like an old-fashioned number 10 kind of where he just wants to have the ball at his feet and dictate play and, and uh, you know, create chances and things like that. And and we kind of saw that, like, Chris Mueller's good first chance in the in the first game came through a good interplay between him and, and he can kind of bring other players into the game and make everyone around him better. And I think that that's probably one of... Uh, his uh like the best thing that he brings to the table is not even necessarily just what he is as a player and what he brings but how he affects people around him how he's able to uh bring players like chris Mueller or benji michelle into the game by finding significant passes and 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 hitting them on really any run as long as they can find a couple uh maybe feet of space and behind a back line so yeah mauricio Pereira is just just a player who himself has a lot of positive qualities and uh even more so uh he impacts the overflow of the, or the, the whole flow of the game and uh, makes his teammates better. Yeah. In my opinion, he's very important to, to Tuesday's match. Uh, I think you're spot on with uh, your analysis on why you think he is. I think he is because of his defensive contribution. I think NYCFC are going to look to attack. They're going to look to hold the ball. They're going to look to um, get the ball into the box and get shots off. And he helps out a lot in that midfield defensively. He gets back. He gets tackles. He's not afraid to do the dirty work. Even at uh, such a small height, what is he, five foot eight, five foot six? He really gets in there. He does the dirty work. That's why we all love him. He He's a bulldog. Uh, he, he's fantastic for us. Um, but also going forward, we're not going to have a lot of the ball, in my opinion. I think we're going to play uh, more counterattacking to kind of let NYCFC do their thing but make sure that they don't do it too well and not leave enough space for them, as we all know Pereja likes to do. So I think we're going to let them have the ball. And then when we do get the ball, we need to get it to him. 
and we need to get to Nani, and they need to play together and, and create some chances. I know Pereira, uh, it doesn't, it didn't look like last game he created a bunch of ch- chances, but uh, his play in the game, I felt warranted um, some praise, and I felt we didn't do that. Uh, we didn't give him enough praise yesterday. Uh, he had that um, amazing pass to um, Mueller, and uh, overall, uh, he was uh, just doing really well in the game. Another thing about Pereira that I think doesn't get talked about as much is his his toolkit that he has as a passer. And uh, it, so any one of us or y'all listening can go outside with someone and hit a side foot pass straight 10 yards, you know, 30 feet. Anyone can do that. And uh, that's really what most of the passes in MLS are because just the players don't have the technical ability to in time make the decision to use an advanced technique in the game in the proper way with, uh, with like the proper speed and weight on the pass. Mauricio Pereira has that ability. He has maybe not world-class ability like someone like uh, Kevin De Bruyne would have, but he has uh, that technical ability of professional European soccer that is not so common in MLS. Like Nani has, Nani has world-class ability. Um, but but it's it's a an ability to make a pass that'll break down a defense, especially an MLS defense, and it, it can change a game. And he's a guy that if your offense is struggling, he can be that key to unlock like like if uh if uh, a a defense is parking the bus and keeping a bunch of players behind the ball, he can make a pass that's not just a straight ground pass that can unlock that defense and change the game for you. Also like I, I think it's I think it's quite valuable. Like he's the type of player where, uh, you know, sometimes in MLS games it gets to be a little phonetic, like the pace of the game, and and we might have some trouble kind of breaking down a defense or creating chances or something like that. But as long as we can kind of get the ball at his feet, he can kind of settle things down. Similar in the way of like how Nani and maybe like Yuri to a lesser extent, extent, excuse me. Uh, you know, he he's the he's the guy where where players can look to get the ball to, and he'll recycle possession, and and uh, he'll kind of allow us to reset, and that's that, that's that's extremely valuable because oftentimes, you know, maybe maybe not as much last game. I think we played well last game, but we'll find ourselves struggling to create chances. But um, he's the type of player which, on top of creating chances himself, he can just help us get reorganized and things like that. And like Adam says, he has European Europa League pedigree. Um, yeah, he's just he he's a player like we we've talked about this before. He's definitely just a step above uh, most players in the MLS. He's he's also just technically gifted. Uh, mm-hmm. One thing I really like and I think is really important is technically gifted players because when your team gets the ball, you have to be able to keep it. You have to be able to relieve pressure off your defense. You have to be able to get progression moving forward to the attack and being able to keep the ball, being able to have the ball at your feet, get around get around players who are trying to put in tackles, trying to put pressure on you, and find the the the, the right pass, that's important. That's very important, and and that really helps improve teams. And Pereira's like that. Um, another player that's like that that I want to move on to is Junior Urso. And I think uh, um, a lot of people have been saying that Junior Urso had maybe not a bad game, but an average game, and... Uh, that he just shouldn't start against NYCFC. And I personally uh, think he, he should be in the starting lineup against NYCFC. Uh, so, Daniel, I'm going to go to you on this one. Um, I, again, I personally think Junior Urso uh, had a pretty good game. You know, he, his ball progression numbers were good. He was all over the pitch. He, he showed for, uh, 
for passes a lot, and he helped us control possession of the ball. I mean, we had, what, 59% possession. Um, do you want Urso to play in the NYCFC game? Do you want him to start, or do you think Mendez uh, is warranted to start after Urso's uh, maybe average-ish performance? No, I think you go with, <clears throat> excuse me, I think you go with your best, who you deem as your best player, and Urso is is probably a nail for those two central midfielder slots. Um, I don't think we can really judge off off one game, even if someone was not particularly visible in the game, you know, or, or did anything, you know, that seemed magnificent. I still think you give him more time because I think there's more to come from Junior or so. And though I recognise in our last episode that he was my dud, I didn't mean he was a dud because he was just really bad. It's just that I didn't see his full potential in that game. So I would say you stick with him. Um, what I do like with Oso is he does move. He gets in between the lines. And if Russell can keep his discipline next to him and maybe hang just a little further back to recycle possession a bit more, I think we'll see a lot more of, of Oso. But I would not play Oso next to Mendes. I just think we'll be a little bit too defensive and um, likely to start sitting back. And uh, that's where teams tend to, to hurt us, to be honest. Now, I want to go around the table here. Uh Chase, I'm going to start, or actually Adam, I'm going to go to you next. What pairing would you prefer? Would you prefer Uri and Urso, Uri and Mendez, or Mendez and Urso? I think the the great thing about having three midfielders, uh, like holding midfielders, that you could reasonably start and be happy with is that you can tailor the pairing to the opponent. So what's NYCFC going to do? NYCFC is going to want to have possession of the ball. They're going to build out of the back and they're going to want to go with a bunch of combo play. Uh, now, Uri is very intelligent. Uh, he's not that fast anymore. It, it depends on really the lineup you think NYCFC is going to feel, field if they're going to go with a bunch of pace or if they're going to go more technical. Um, if they're going to go with, and I think that uh, that Maxi Morales and potentially Alexander Matrita being out, um, really kind of tests the favor and the the balance in favor of Uri uh, in that they're going to be looking for a more technical uh, game and uh, and they're going to try those combos because they're not going to have that uh, that one guy like Maxi Morales that can just, you know, hold the ball at his feet and break down the defense. Um, and, and you're going to want Uri to read the game a little better. Uh, so for this matchup, I think Uri, I don't have, I'm going to disagree with Daniel. I don't have a problem with Mendez and Urso. I think they're, uh, I think they're both capable of playing box to box and you, uh, instead of having like Uri sit back and, uh, Urso go up like you might have in that pairing, you would just have both of them play uh, double pivot and honestly play the same role on either side. Uh, so it's really just what kind of what kind of midfield do you want to have for the game? What's your strategy and tactics, and uh, and who who how do you want them to affect the game going forward? Uh, also, if you're looking for more facilitation out of the back, then you want to play early. Um, I think if we also uh, recall um, on our preview for this whole tournament, uh, Gavin, you asked who we thought would impress and who we thought would disappoint. I said I thought Ursa would disappoint for this tournament. That doesn't mean I think we should bench him. Uh, my point was I thought that he need he was new to the team. Well, he is new to the team. He didn't have the chemistry quite down yet, which I think we saw. And he's just going to need to play through it. But he's clearly very talented. So I think you I think you definitely have to play Urso and let him play through this because he's going to be a huge asset going forward once he does play through this like getting up to speed phase of being with the team. Chase, what do you think? <laughs> 
Well, not to answer your question with a question, but I'm I'm looking at their lineup from the past game. Like, if Morales and Matrita are out, like, who do you guys actually think would replace them? I know, Gavin, you said uh, Soran, Sir Sorarinson, their Icelandic uh, kind of wide Sor- man. Sorarinson, um, yeah. or or uh, Zelalem. Yeah, um, I was came off the bench maybe, as well. Maybe Gideon Zelalem, and if they go with a midfield three of Keaton Parks, Gideon Zalalem, and and, uh, and uh, Alexander Ring. I, I think they're deaf. That, that's a midfield that lacks that. Bench for them. So I'm sorry? He, he could be it too. Medina also came off the bench for them against Philly, so he could definitely be the one. Yeah, they're, they're definitely probably going to have to do some kind of shifting around because they definitely don't really have much of a leg for like replacement of Maxi Morales outside of Zalalem, but then you're taking like a like quite a steep nosedive and asking a lot for... You know, Zalalem hasn't been able to lock down a position at a club for a while to, to step in and fill those boots. But say they do go with Zalalem or even Medina, which Medina has obviously hasn't been too impressive. I uh, I, I think that they're going to have kind of a, an athletically limited midfield because I don't necessarily think Keaton Parks is, uh, you know, he's, he's very solid technically, but he's not someone that's going to cover a lot of ground. So like you guys said, they're definitely going to probably um, – try to control the ball and like as you can tell I kind of I'm kind of stalling because I, I don't really know like I get where Daniel's coming from about the the Mendez Urso combination possibly being a bit too defensive I also think like watching that game back Urso Urso had license to kind of push up uh, a lot like Gavin said and um, I, I feel like Mendez he's the type of guy that can cover a lot of ground but if he doesn't have anyone to partner him who will be there uh we might just kind of have two of our midfielders out of position too. And, and, and NYCFC would really like that. But I, I think the midfield partnership last week kind of worked. So overall, I, I would go with Yuri and uh, Yuri and uh, oh Junior. So I forgot his name for a second there. But, <laughs> but I, I kind of wanted to pose this question. Like, would you guys feel confident about maybe like Andreas Perea coming in? And, and getting a start, how, how would you guys feel about that? Is he a bit too young or something like that? Not against NYCFC. Yeah. I would I would feel very nervous about that. Uh, I think he's a great sub to have off the bench because he brings a lot of energy and he's very young. And uh, he's a guy that you can maybe shut down a game with, like how, just have him run it out. Yeah. But I, I, I think they might abuse him a little bit in the midfield, especially with Ring, Ring and Parks. Uh, they, they might school him a little bit. And it, the thing is, Gideon Zalalem is probably, like you said, Chase, the most like-for-like like replacement for Maxi Morales. Mm. Uh, he's someone that I actually, I've, I've followed his career because he was at Arsenal, and he yeah. he was hailed to be kind of the, the new Meza Ozil almost. I mean, his, he used to be that type of player who would get the ball, look up, and find impossible through balls to his teammates. And obviously, it's different in the youth levels, but he is a very technical player. But you're right, he's not physically very fast. Um, he, he had a couple of very bad knee injuries when he was young, and that's what kind of stalled his growth. So he has the vision, he has the ability to kind of hurt us uh, in the passing game that Maxi Morales has. But physically, it's just not the same. He's not as fast. Uh, he's not as agile. So I do think like-for-like like replacement would be Zelalem. Um so Chase, you said did you you said Urso and Yuri? Yeah, I would probably just I, I probably would just stick with what we did last game. All right, yeah, uh, I I would also agree with Adam that Perea uh, not not this match. Um, it's too important because I honestly think Philadelphia is the hardest team to beat in this group. 
Uh, and if we lose this match, we go into that game with three points having to get a result. And um, I, I don't want Perea. I don't think he would mess it up, but I it's just, you know, it's, it's a big match. I want to get out of the group stage. I want to get into the knockout rounds and uh, stuff like that. Um, moving on. One thing I noticed while I was rewatching the game was uh, I was kind of focusing in on Nani. And uh, I know, I know, Daniel, you were saying that uh, Moutinho's defense kind of made you nervous throughout the match. Um, and then we kind of saw something happen with the goal. Uh, Moutinho looked kind of asleep after halftime. But Nani wasn't tracking back at all. And I think that's obviously expected and because of his age and it's most likely instructions that he was not tracking back. But, Daniel, I want to know, do you think that him not tracking back uh, hurt our defense? And also, do you think it's smart that we have told him uh, not to track back, not only offensively in that one game, but it also saves his energy so he can play in the next games coming up? Because, yes, he played 97, 98 minutes of this match, but he didn't play 97, 98 minutes of this match, if you know what I mean. So what do you think about that, Daniel? I think that you have a player like Nani, then you're going to have a situation where you've got to let somebody off the leash in that team. And we have two players, really, that you would think he let off the leash. One is Nani, the other is Pereira. Um, I don't think the lack of tracking back is an issue. I mean, the team was set up with, with a back with with a back four and then you've got two midfielders sat in front i would feel that that unit of six should be able to solve a lot of problems that it has coming against him uh, my problem with the goal we conceded last week is that moutinho drifted Waynefield almost into a space where russell was occupying it and they tend to get in each other's way but neither of them acted upon the player that you know capitalized on the overload that came on the right and that's where the ball comes in and that's where the goal comes from so I don't think that's a nanny issue. I mean, if you take nanny out of the game by having him mark their right midfielder or right wing back, uh, whichever you want, you want to perceive as that Miami played, nanny's not going to be up there to get that goal in the in the 95th minute, 96th minute. We get a, an heroic 1-1 you know, result, and maybe we don't even score because he was it was up there on that flank for the for the first goal as well. So. No, we the coach has got it a hundred percent right. He's got Nanny situated the way he needs to do, and Nanny's not getting any younger, so he needs to conserve that energy for meaningful offensive play. Now, if we're playing like a four-two-three-one, and you're putting Nanny on that left wing, and your two central midfielders are not going to be as defensive, then yeah, I mean we're looking at sort of defensive suicide there. But I think the way this team was set up, Nanny was was situated perfectly for me. All right, now another thing I noticed when rewatching the game was something new, in my opinion, uh, something that I don't think I've ever seen Orlando City do before, and that was get bodies into the box. Uh, maybe since Heath, uh, who was an attacking-minded coach, but when we had Christ and we had O'Connor, we would always see one or two players in the box, sometimes three or four when it was late-game situations and you're going for a win or, or a, uh, a comeback. But in this game multiple times we would get the ball on the right and the left and we would have three of those channels occupied and uh, if, if you're not sure what i mean by three of those channels usually the attack is split up into five channels uh daniel has said it before you have the the far left 
uh, just inside left, middle, inside right, and far right. And basically we would have, in this game, multiple times when we were, put, we were putting crosses in, we made sure we filled those three channels literally inside the box. And it would be Urso and Dwyer or and uh, Mueller or Dwyer and Mueller and, and um, Nani if on the left or, or somebody. There was always three people in the box whenever we were out on the width looking to put crosses in. And that's something that I really, really, really liked. That's something that I think that we have struggled with. And that makes us a little bit more dangerous off crosses because that leads to balls bouncing in the box. And eventually, like what happened in the, the last second of the game, it leads to goals. Because um, there's more people in the box, which leads cadence to more chaos. And then hopefully lucky bounces go our way, which it did. Adam, how important is it that we are finally seeing a coach spot the, the problems with the team and doing the correct solutions well it's massive right uh, you know it's i feel like oscar preja is the first self-aware coach we've had since adrian heath you know like jason christ would be so adherent to his system that he would like keep the diamond and then start like seven defensive midfielders and <laughs> and, and like james o'connor kind of looked out of his league i think he would have grown into the role but he was definitely out of his league uh, his first full year in mls uh, he Heath was better about it, but he didn't have the full support. I mean, player acquisition was absolutely awful when we first came into MLS. Uh, so he never had a team he could really work with. Uh, Oscar Pereja, since Adrian Heath, is the first self-aware coach that we've had in that he can look at his team and evaluate what he has and then think of the best way to utilize them to win games. It's revolutionary, I know. Uh, and... Wouldn't you know that if you're going to have uh, three of your uh, most frequent ball handlers and Nani, Juan, and Moutinho be wide players that are putting in crosses, wouldn't you think it's a good idea to put bodies in the box? You know, if your crosses are going in, you want it to be a purple guy instead of a non-purple guy. This is just <laughs> basic, basic stuff here, but you'd be surprised how many coaches will say, no, my system is how I play. And this is how we're going to do it, no matter who I have on the pitch. And I think that's asinine. Um, so, yeah, I think it, I think it's great. And, uh, you know, uh, the the more chances you have to score, the, the better you're going to do. Yeah. Now, one thing that I am calling for Oscar Perea to see a problem with and do a very quick solution is to drop Dom Dwyer. Um, we talked about it on the, the, the post-match pod. Uh, he was very, very poor. Uh, he was just focusing on fouling, really. And uh, one thing that I didn't even notice, I, uh, again, when I was re-watching the game, um, I, I did notice this. He has a foul on, on Reyes in the 41st minute. That's a dirty foul. That easily could have caused a, uh, a serious knee injury. And the, the way he fell... If there's a couple inches difference, if his stud gets stuck in the, the grass, he's out for, for the rest of the season. And Dom Dwyer, um, Dom Dwyer is just, I don't know, in tears, I guess. I don't know if he'd feel bad, uh, but it's, it's just dirty. It was just dirty. And that's what really surrounded his game, but also just his lack of, uh, what's the word, um, impact on the game. His lack of impact on the game was also... Uh, um, apparent 
one thing that I found when I was writing my uh, my article, uh, the the post match recap uh, on the blog, is that Dwyer actually received the same amount of passes as Akindele, except Dwyer played for about fifty to sixty minutes because of the injury, and Akindele only played for about thirty seven minutes. So that just shows you how much how much more available Akindele was for passes than Dwyer was for passes. And for me, Chase. Akindele has to start this match. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, kind of to to attest to uh, his impact on the game. He like like I I just rewatched it before this podcast, and it, it seems to me like every time a ball is kind of played in his general area, and and if he's the target of a pass, it's like a foul occurs right away. And typically he's 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 the aggressor, and he's he's not the one getting fouled. Um, and and I think that really is an issue. Like like sometimes I think. Uh, Kind of looking at these things might be a bit bit nitpicky, but it, it realistically is either he goes in too hard for the ball and he commits a foul, or he gets touched and he's immediately hitting the ground and he's trying to draw a foul. And I, and, and I think that's something that he was doing doing a bit uh, like this past season, specifically towards the end of it. And it just doesn't work, and, and it ultimately leads to him having really no positive effect on the game. Uh I mean, I think it's the most likely option that we will see Tesho start. And obviously, Tesho had a very good cameo coming off the bench, and he was highly influential um, in the second goal, both uh, playing the ball out to Zhao for the cross and kind of he, he was the target that whether or not – I, I want to say Fugal kind of got the touch that led the ball to Nani, but he was the target and he was the one that, that caused the ball to drop to Nani. But – um. He's the most realistic option to start, but really like like and like I feel like I'm like a broken record because I talk about this a lot, but I would absolutely love Benji Michelle to be that starter in the striker role just because I think that he provides so much energy and uh, more more likely than not, he's going to be running at like kind of a, a Collins who's not necessarily the most athletic center back and James Sands, who although he's, you know, fantastic and, and he very well could move to to, to Europe even. Um this next summer or whenever kind of everything settles down, he's he's still a bit young, and, and if you go directly at him, he's capable of a mistake. Um, and and Benji, I think, could have kind of a similar sort of pop to to Chris Mueller did, like like he did after that, uh, or during the Miami game, where he was arguably our man of the match. I know that he won the man of the match award, which that can, you know, sometimes tell a false story, but he was he was the protagonist in our game, honestly, like he, he was the most direct player and uh, whether it was creating chances for himself or creating chances for others, he was fantastic. And I think that Benji, while maybe in a different way, if we let him play in this tournament, uh, his youth might, I, I know we talked about youth maybe working against players, but the fact that he has so much energy in this tournament where people aren't fully fit, I, I really would like to see Benji. But, you know, like I said, Oscar Pereja trusts Akindele and, and seems like for good reason. So overall, I Tesho Dom, Dom Dwyer needs to not start. I think that we can all agree on that. But I think Tesho is the most likely option to come in. And and I'm not necessarily too mad at that. But Benji would be it would be a, a welcome surprise as well. Yeah, uh, my only thing is while Benji is a great option, I don't think he provides the the, but he's not uh, as involved build in the up game play. Yes, as Tesho, yes. yeah. I can and see I, that for sure. I think that's what we need right now. I don't 
I don't see us creating many chances without having that build-up play kind of striker. Uh, coming in deep, laying off the ball, drawing out defenders. I don't see us having a, a poacher work. And I mean, that it didn't work. When Dwyer was there, he wasn't showing for build-up play. And what, we created a couple chances. Uh, one where Pereira wins the ball for us up in, in the half and, and gives it to Nani. And then and then Nani tries to give it to Dwyer, who's hiding behind the center back. Or, or then some great build-up play from Mueller and Pereira. Yes, we made those chances, but that was more individual brilliance than the system working. Mm. So with Akindele, I felt it was more the system giving us those <clears throat> chances. And yes, Nani was individual brilliance in terms of the assist to Mueller, but we were kind of stepping on into Miami after Akindele came on. We were definitely in the ascendancy. Uh, and then after our goal, obviously, we weren't. All right, then let's move on to our four keys of the match. And Daniel, I'm going to start with you. Give us your key to the, to the NYCFC game. Uh, my key to the game is uh, to stop Alex Ring. I feel like he's a very um, he's a very good technical player in midfield for New York. And um, I remember the home game last season. Actually, he, he scored in the game uh, beginning of last season. But he and the um, the other gentleman in midfield who also scored, um, Ofori, I believe his name was. They were very, very influential. Um, we we got back to a 2-2 with that, but New York played very well and all their play came through the middle. My feeling is that with the missing um, Morales now, maybe not having their, their typical number 10, they might well look to ring and whichever his designated partner is going to be to, to dictate that midfield and to stop New York and to stop them playing through the lines like we know they can do. Uh, they have to stop... Um, Alex Ring, I feel as if there's two solutions to that, and one is to is to stick a defensive player on him, or to maybe stick somebody offensively into the hole behind the striker and give him something to think about instead. Um, but my key would be certainly to stop him. Well, I think you could do that both of your options in one go. I think you stick okay. Pereira on him defensively, yeah. and then offensively, you have Pereira in the hole. Absolutely, I think he can. If you can drag him, drag him out of his comfort zone a little bit, uh, make him sweat some more. Uh, you know, I know, it's hot enough in Florida, but let's make him panic with it when he has the ball. Because uh, one observation I did make from that game last year was that he got far too much um, on time on the ball at, at some periods of the game, and even in the in the cup tie, um, in the Open Cup, New York dominated that game for long periods of time. So we know how they like to squeeze and starve the, the opposition of the ball. Um, it's imperative that we, we do as we did with the Miami game, is get the, get the middle fit, midfield one, and especially in the central areas, and then create the space for, for Nani and Mueller, who I hope both of them will start um, to do some damage. Yeah, and also we're left side heavy, so I wonder if us forcing the ball at that left side, if Ring does start in that right defensive mid position, mm -hmm. Will he kind of have to sit back because if he doesn't, we'll kind of run all run rings over them. Pun intended. Yeah, I mean, you could oh create. My God. You could... <laughs> no, that was no, bad, he... Gavin. Gavin was waiting all episode to ring that one in. <laughs> oh, you too. <laughs> all right, Daniel, make so a like him. Maybe they should put a ring on it. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Dead silence. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> what was your point, Daniel? 
<laughs> you, my point got lost with talking about rings. You know, uh, I want some money in rings now. That's <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, I apologize for uh, interrupting or making puns or whatever. Um, Chase, do you have yours ready? Are you Are you good? Yeah, you go? yeah. I know. I was going to talk about. I was going to talk about kind of trying to win the battle in the midfield with a lot of uncertainty around that. But I'm actually going to talk about uh, Antonio Carlos and kind of my key to the game is. Either he needs to step up or he needs to just not start at all. And I, I see us going again with a back four. And ultimately, I, I, I think there was a little confusion uh, around if like Schlegel was more of a left-sided center back than a right-sided center back. And I actually think that he's right-footed. That's at least what transfer marked has him. And, and kind of looking at some of his highlights, particularly in the Colorado game, he's at the very least fairly ambidextrous. So I think that he could work with Janssen. And... I, initially, I was a little concerned of like disturbing a center back partnership, which we've seen um, in preseason, and, and we saw in the first game against RSL, and obviously against Inter. But I don't really necessarily think Antonio Carlos and Janssen work well together. Like I think Janssen had a very good game last game, but it wasn't like his center back partnership was doing him favors. He was just able to kind of fly out, and he even like kind of found himself on the right side of the field sometimes. Uh, flying in to make tackles and things like that and covering ground. And, and and overall, even on second viewing especially, I don't necessarily think, and, and I'm sure you guys all agree, because I think we talked about this before, but Antonio Carlos had a, a fairly rough game. Like, like Zhao was at fault for allowing the man to get free to make the cross, but Antonio Carlos let Juan Agadello go, and he didn't really make much of an effort to uh, intervene on the cross. And you can even kind of argue that uh, his positioning – almost had us go down within like the first 10 minutes with Agadello's first chance. Like the reason the ball was, was put in is I think, cause he kind of went out to pressure the crosser. I think it was, um, the Argentinian wide man, Pellegrini, his name escaped me for a second. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just overall, I think he had a couple errors that, uh, would make me think about if I was the coach kind of going in with Schlegel and Schlegel's a good player. So if we have to start Antonio Carlos, if we, if, if Oscar feels confident with that, um, pick he just needs to step up because this game wasn't good enough and um, overall I really would like to see Schlegel and and uh, Janssen come in and uh, my key to the game is kind of establishing more defensive solidity um, and, and a lot of that falls towards uh, Antonio Carlos and his ability to perform yeah there's gonna be a lot of movement on NYCFC's part I don't care if they don't have Matrita who was injured for the first game I don't care if they don't have Morales they, they're still gonna bring in People. I mean, Jesus Medina, I'm pretty sure, is a DP. And he's kind of like a DP in the sense that Dom Dwyer is a DP. But at the end of the day, they still sometimes come up big with uh, big moments. And so they have the ability to hurt us. And if Antonio Carlos isn't going to be tracking runners, is going to be making uh, mistakes in important moments of the match that lead to chances for NYCFC, we can't afford that. So, yes, all eyes, I think, will be on Antonio Carlos if he does start to step up and have a good game. All right, Adam, what's your key to the match? 18 shots, 9 on target. That's what NYCFC did to Philadelphia in the game Philadelphia won 1-0. You know who Philly's man of the match was? It was Andre Blake, their goalkeeper. And uh, ours is going to have to be Pedro Galese. Uh, he hasn't been tested that much so far. We haven't, we haven't had a Pedro Galese game yet, which is... You know, both good and well, it's mostly good. You know, you you don't want to have goalkeeper games all that often. <laughs> but 
uh, especially if Carlos starts, uh, and we've seen him be like the you you can toy with him if you have a very technical play style like NYCFC has. They're gonna build out of the back. I uh, I watched. Uh, I don't have uh, the ability to replay the games, so I, I usually watch like the MLS in fifteen. And in those fifteen minutes of uh, game film that I have available to me, I didn't see them try a long. Uh, like air past like 40 yards downfield once uh, they they play on the ground they play combination play they are very technical and that's what gives our defense trouble sometimes so nycfc is going to get theirs i don't care if morales is out i don't care if matrita's out like like daniel said they have talented technical midfielders and they're going to get theirs they're going to have shots on goal uh and, and galesa is going to need to come up big because also we don't have a way currently to consistently generate offense. We uh, we just don't have the pieces in place, particularly the striker that's going to put away chances, uh, and we know that we're going to score two goals in a game. We might have to win this game 1-0. Uh, that that might have to be how it's going to be. Like uh, Ali Bedoya for Philly just kind of put one up on a prayer, and, and it went in, and that's how they won the game. So I think Gless is going to need to come up big, and we paid money for him for a reason. He's a very, very well-regarded international goalkeeper. Uh, it's time to see what he's got in the tank. Well, technically, we didn't pay money for him, but uh, we are we paying his uh, pretty high wages. Uh, he was for free because his he club got folded. Oh, right. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. But anyways, uh, I'm really, we, really... We are paying him a, a significant amount of money. Yes. I'm really, really happy that you brought up Galese because... I have had this thought in the back of my mind for um, the last couple of weeks now. And it's like, we all see Galese as having the potential to be a top MLS goalkeeper uh, in terms of age, in terms of World Cup uh, pedigree, and, and just his status. He could be MLS's best goalkeeper. But like, like you said, Adam, almost called you Andrew, um, we haven't seen it yet. Because he doesn't face a lot of shots because we've fixed our defense and we focus on having a, a, a resolute defense before having an amazing offense. Something that happens with goalkeepers a lot is some goalkeepers look really good when they face lots of shots and they're in the game and they're concentrating and and they're they're just they're just ready. They're ready because they know that they're going to face lots of shots Um I think Galese is one of those goalkeepers. I mean, when every what, what have we conceded three goals this season? Um, yeah, none of them are Galese's fault, but uh, you're you're not seeing the worldy saves uh, stopping a, a certain goal. You're seeing you're seeing goals go in, uh, and so I wonder if Galese needs to get off a few uh, saves from normal shots, you know, that, that are savable for him to really concentrate for him to really get, uh, to really get warmed up, get ready in the game. And then we will start seeing those, um, those worldy saves that we've seen in the highlight reels. It's such a mental position, right? You know, like goalkeepers, uh, they they deal with so much and like, they can have nothing to do for an entire game. And the next game they're, they're peppered with 10 shots. So it, it's a it's a position that requires such mental strength and focus, and you have to be ready when you're called upon. And sometimes there's big gaps in between that. And and we sought out Galese for a reason, and he's highly regarded for a reason. He's gonna. 
I think he's going to have to bail us out of this one. Because NYCFC is not... I know they haven't won a game this year yet. I, they're better than that. Just flat out that I'm shocked that they have They should have beat the Union. They, they should have, honestly. Um, it, this is not going to be an easy match. I'm just... I'm just not really impressed with Ronnie Dyla. Um, I know the first game is out of his hands. They get a red card in the first couple of minutes. Uh, the second game against Toronto, that's a tough matchup. Toronto's a, a very good team. And, I mean, MLS Cup Final last season. And then uh, the layoff. And then they come up against a pretty well-drilled Philadelphia team. So, I, Andre Blake was stellar. Was I he really? I, I wasn't able to watch the match. I was busy. Oh, he, uh, man of the match. Andre Blake was absolutely stellar for them, but uh, they NYCFC has fantastic movement. Uh, they're switching the ball really well from side to side, playing that combo play like they like. They're getting shot. They were getting good chances. Blake just stopped literally everything. All right. Well, hopefully uh, Galicia can do the same, uh, and hopefully you're right two for two as you were right with Mendez. My key to the match is probably well, not probably. It's almost definitely not going to happen, but it's something I would really, really, really like to see. And that is Kyle Smith starting the game. Now, before I get any hate for this, um, people just like paused the podcast right now. Like, I need a minute. <laughs> <laughs> NYCFC are very similar to us in the fact that they like to utilize their left back as a as an attacking wing back. Even in a back four, they like to lean on that left hand side. Matarita, who's their left back, was very influential in their game. He was going up the field, putting crosses in, uh, being available for a pass, very similar to how Moutinho is. While I wouldn't be as worried as Juan is very good at defending and uh, pushing teams back with his pace, I would really, really, really prefer to have Cal Smith back there this game. Uh, He's much more defensively resolute. He's very good one-on-one, and with technical players, I would really prefer, I don't know about you guys, but if I saw someone like um, Castellanos dribbling at um, either Juan or Kyle Smith, I'm honest, I would prefer Kyle Smith in that situation. Uh, I think he's a much better 1v1 defender, and I think we're going to have a lot of 1v1 issues at our right back. Um, And so, personally... I'd like to see Kyle Smith out there. Yeah, I, I've talked before. Like, I really do rate Kyle Smith as sort of a a backup option because we, we pay him literally nothing. And he's not spectacular. Like, he's not probably going to win win you the game or lose you the game. Like, that that's one of his most valuable qualities. And uh, if, if we're looking specifically at the right back spot, it is probably Kyle Miller who – Kyle Miller, Kyle Smith, my bad. I uh, got Kamal Miller and Kyle Smith tied up there, but it's definitely Kyle Smith who's the best kind of defensive player out of the two. And uh, But the only really concern that I have with that, and um, you know, I'm sure it's quite an obvious thing, is, is Huan oftentimes can provide us like some defensive spark. And oftentimes he's like the only player that can really provide us a burst of pace down the wings and get in and grab an assist. And um, I, I get that maybe... You don't want him bombing up, especially in a four back against NYCFC. But I don't know, man. He he he's just the type of guy that that we can hit him on an outlet, and then and then he could grab us a goal. And, and like we all said, it might be a one nil, and you might kind of need 
uh, that outlet, that burst of pace there out wide. And building well, off of that, he's not just a guy. He's the only guy in our starting 11 that's capable of it. He's the yeah, only but guy you, with pace. But you can also bring him off the bench. We have five substitutes. And so with 60 minutes left, or 60, with 30 minutes left, you can bring him on and you can still have decent defensive solidarity, but you can now change the game, uh, make NYCFC switch to you, make them react to you. You bring on Juan, you have to you have to change how you're attacking because you can't overload the left hand side sometimes with a fresh Juan when you're you're when you're um players on the field are tired and yeah, they can change it and bring on another, a winger, another left back to kind of counteract that. But that's making them react to you, not you react to them. So I would personally, I'd personally love to see Kyle Smith start this game uh, just to sort of make sure that we are defensively resolute back there. Yeah, I I get what you're saying. Um, But just for the fullback and and, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a big fan of Kyle Smith. Excuse me. I'm a big fan of Kyle Smith, but just just who on in particular because we're going to be kind of kind of under it a little bit even if they have two of their better kind of you know winger midfield player whatever whatever you want to call Matrita um even if they don't have them they're still probably going to control the game a little bit and we're still going to be under the caution a bit and if we're subbing on a right back as a super sub um and, and chasing the game through that and, and and I get that it's kind of different because we have five subs and um you know, it's not as big of a deal if if you want to introduce, you know, a fullback if you're down who can provide you offensive opportunities who want especially or definitely can do that. Um, I, I don't know. I'm I'm not the biggest fan of of putting on a player like Juan to to chase the game. Uh, if say we're down or or say it's tied up, uh, I I would almost kind of rather start Juan and then conversely, like if if we can get that goal, bring on Kyle Smith for a little bit of defensive solidity and just allow him to stay back as he does and and. Uh, you know, play a very minute role in possession as he does, you know? All right, yeah. Duly noted. Um, Quickly here, uh, before we go on to part two, I just want to get your guys' score predictions. So, uh, Adam, I'm going to go to you first. What do you think the score will be? NYCFC 2, Orlando City nothing. The anti-jinx continues. All right. (laughs) Daniel, what do you think the score will be? Uh, I think it's a a draw here, a 1-1 draw. I don't think we'll keep a clean sheet. I mean, but I do think we can score. Uh, I think we'll just cancel each other out. Chase, um, I don't know. My my head says a score draw. Not to just piggyback off Daniel, but I'm gonna have faith in our back line and hope Antonio Carlos or whoever can kind of show up. And I'm gonna go with a one nil. Uh, you know, a, a grindy type win. All right, I am. I'm gonna go. Whatever, I'll be different. I'll go two one. I'll go two one win. Um, I I think I said one no last game. Uh, I think I think we have the ability to come out on top in this match, but it's gonna be a grind, kind of like Inter Miami. And then I have a couple of quick lineup prediction questions. So, Daniel, do you think Akindele will start, or do you think Dwyer will start? I want Akindele to start. I just think he'll start Dwyer. I think um, the coach. I think he'll give Dwyer as much rope as possible, you know, and try and get him into some sort of form. Uh, but um, I hope it's Akindeli, of course. I think the team improved once Akindeli came in and we got a focal point up there and a little more fluidity. But he's going to go with Dwyer, I'm pretty sure of it. 
All right, Adam, do you think Carlos starts or do you think Schlegel starts? Uh, he doesn't seem like the type of coach to make rash decisions off of one game. And uh, we did. Uh, there's a fair bit of expectation for Carlos. So I think he'll get a little bit more, uh, more of a run before he's benched. And Chase, do you think Ursa starts or do you think Mendez starts? I think it's going to come down to those two, to be honest. Um, yeah, as I said, I think that they're probably just going to go with the same midfield partnership as last game with, with Yuri and Urso starting. Uh, I, I think uh, they, they work to an extent, and he's probably going to want to introduce Mendez later as he did in the last game, uh, if need be, and uh, provide some defensive solidity and, and defensive action and energy into the midfield. So, yeah, I think Urso starts over Mendez. All right, and that is it for part one where we previewed the NYCFC matchup. Uh, in part two, we will be doing fan questions. So we'll be right back right after this. All right, guys, welcome back to part two of the podcast where we answer your questions from Instagram and Twitter. And I'm pretty sure all our questions are from Twitter today. And so we'll start off with this one from Marema underscore four on Twitter. She says, with some people talking about how this tournament should be canceled, etc., what are your opinions on that? So, Adam, I'm going to go to you first, and we'll do a quick roundtable. What do you think about the tournament getting, sh- should it be canceled? This is a really tough one, because if we're going for maximum safety, it never should have happened in the first place. To be quite frank and honest, I think MLS has actually done a more decent job than people think. Uh, and I know it looks bad with Nashville and FC Dallas getting sent out, um, but their bubble appears to have been, no one has appeared to have gotten infected inside the bubble so far. Uh, even with these new cases that are being reported, they're, um, they're saying that those teams are the ones that arrived late and those tests are basically retests from right after they arrived. So it appears that the bubble still has not been breached. And so until we get a new case inside the bubble, I don't think they have to shut the whole thing down, but they've got to be freaking out right now. And they've, they've got to be real careful about keeping track about everyone and keeping the testing going. So I, yeah, I don't think so yet, but one more incident. And then I think we start having those discussions seriously. Chase, what do you think? Yeah. Like Adam said, it, it probably shouldn't have happened in the first place because especially considering it's in a state where, you know, we're one of the worst hit kind of like, like the state itself is harder hit than, than pretty much any country in the world, let alone state. And we are the kind of the epicenter right now for the coronavirus in uh, America. I know it's like hitting hard in like Arizona and places like that too. So it definitely shouldn't have gone ahead in the first place. Um, but I, I almost think that, oh my God, see, like, oh, I think that maybe sending everyone home could pose dangers in and of itself because you're going to force these people to like go through airports where you don't necessarily know if I, I don't know. I mean, I, as you can tell, I, I, I don't have too much of a, of a great idea, but it, it might just be best, which I know it definitely won't. I don't think Don Garber will do this in a million years, but it might just be best to maybe cancel it out and just have people quarantine for two weeks out, get everyone tested, and then just send them home. Or maybe maybe even just cut it short at the group stage. Like That's something that I could see them doing because it, it might be best to make that decision now and, and prevent people from, from playing against other players and, and the virus spreading even more uh, 
it, it might be best to make that decision before it actually happens in, in other people's, you know, their lives are put at risk. But it, it's definitely just a tough question given the circumstances of it's already started and, you know, we're already kind of putting people in danger as is. All right. Uh, Daniel, do you have anything else to add or do you think they covered it pretty well? You know, the one thing I, I talk to my kids about every day is empathy. Um, it's not a trait that everybody has, unfortunately. And I think anyone who goes on Twitter is going to see that you've got two polarizing opinions. One is, oh, well, our team did everything right. So it's not our fault that a couple of idiotic teams didn't or whatever. But the truth of the matter is, is that those teams that are still apparently did wrong still had to travel halfway across the country into the worst infected state and take a risk here. Uh, this was always possible. It was always on the cards. And that bubble is anything but a bubble. And, you know, it doesn't help when you get leadership from Orlando, like Louis Mutzi trying to claim that it is, when it evidently is not. There's no such thing as a bubble. It's, it's a virus. There's staff coming in and out all the time. Um, I think Chase summed it up um, pretty much the way I would have done. I feel like... It's risky. You've got to maybe draw a line somewhere. If you get any more positive cases this week, you've got to maybe look at drawing a line, maybe at the group stage, and look to get everybody healthy and, and clean and then go forward with a plan to, to get back into the home markets. I still feel like the home markets might have been a bit safer later this year as opposed to doing this tournament in the middle of summer, to be honest. So uh, that's my take on it. And... Yeah, I would say, yep, yeah, I agree with Chase. It probably should be, you should be looking at a cancellation fairly soon if it keeps reoccurring. All right, uh, Daniel, I'm going to stick with you on this next one. Uh, Charlotte at Kirby Hazard says, how much will NYCFC be affected with Morales being rolled out with injury? And similarly, at Mike A. Spillane uh, says, how big of a deal is it that Maxi Morales is out for New York City? It's uh, the litmus test for this is just who else is available and who's not. We won't really know until we see the lineup. But if you've got players like Herbert, Matrita, uh, Ring, Mendes, and so forth, I mean, they'll have to change their game plan for sure. But I'm pretty sure they have a plan B and a plan C. Uh, Orlando seems to struggle against uh, <laughs> uh, this uh, chap that's out. I can't forget his name now. This number 10, Morales. Um, he's a tiny little midfielder, but he, he always seems to play well. And he got a couple of goals against us recently. So, um, no, I, I think that it's still going to be a tough game. They'll just find another way like good players do. But it is a window for Orlando to, to maybe exploit. You know, instead of worrying about Morales now, they can maybe push forward and, and like we discussed earlier, put some more pressure on that defensive midfield. and look to find a gap where we can attack instead. So it might actually be a blessing in disguise. You know, you take the focal point out, the talisman, and, um, you know, we might have a chance in the game. Adam, uh, at Dazski CPFC, probably a Crystal Palace fan there, uh, he says, what changes to the starting lineup would you like to see? He says he wouldn't mind seeing Mendes start alongside Uri. Um, what would you personally like to see? I I mean it's no secret that I love Sabas Mendes, uh, so you know I, I'm always fine with seeing him. I think any of our top three midfielders are are fine to start this match. Where I would like to see changes, I know I said that I don't think Carlos will come out, nor do I think that he necessarily absolutely should come out. Like give him, we'll give him a chance. You know, 
chemistry team is important and it, it was the first game back. We shouldn't totally judge him on that. I think I personally might give Schlegel a run, but you know, I, I won't be too upset if, uh, if it's Carlos where I think absolutely there should be a change. And I think where there's the best chance for there to be a change is Dom Dwyer should not start this match. I fully agree with Gavin. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I'm tired of Dom Dwyer. Uh, I'm tired of his fouls. I'm tired of him not being in the right position. I'm tired of him not finishing chances. And at the very least, Tasho can give you uh, a guy who's going to help and build up, and he's going to be in the right place at at the at a baseline. I think, I think he's, I am very happy for Tasho who just signed a new fully deserved contract. He's great depth for us, and he's always going to be at least a five out of ten. You know. He's never going to have that abysmal game to where he's going to be the liability. And, oh, I can't believe we couldn't do anything because Tasho was on the field. Like we've like we've seen from Dom Dwyer. So I think Tasho, I, I would like to see the start. I could get behind Benji starting, obviously play the kids that are ready to play. Benji's one of them. I could also get behind uh, having Mueller in a more advanced role and uh, and maybe uh, not playing so much on the wings and, and getting the, the, the width from our fullbacks. So... But I think I think that Dom Dwyer needs to not be on the pitch. All right. We've got a really interesting one coming up from uh, Charlotte again at Kirby Hazard. She says, with a good performance from Mueller after starting the game, do you think we need to start him again or use him as a super sub and bring energy on towards the end of the match? Also, how do you feel about pl- having players who have done well the last game and then placing them on the bench the next game? And what she really means by that, she says is um, she says, with that last question, I mean that Mueller has put in some really good performances from the beginning of a game, and we should, in theory, reward players by continuing to start them. Although, although he's effective from the bet from the bench, is it unfair for him? Is it unfair on him to send him to the bench? Chase, what do you think about all of that? Is it unfair to send him to the bench after uh, having some pretty good starts at the beginning of the season? Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a good and kind of interesting question. And uh, at the beginning of the season, we were all talking about Chris Mueller's best role. That was like kind of one of the more um, popular topics, I guess, for discussion of if he is better as a super sub or if he deserves to be a starter. Um, and, and things, is particularly in this past game, like Chris Mueller is doing things uh, and, and kind of changing things in his game that makes me think that it's not a purple patch. Um because like like maybe say like a young player gets on and he just finds himself in the right positions and he takes his chances like like that's a good thing but theoretically um, you know it could have just been kind of like a lucky a lucky game if you guys know what I'm saying and and he's not that that doesn't necessarily mean that they're ready to to be starters week in week out but Chris Mueller is we've questioned his decision making before we've never really questioned whether or not he is like a technically sound player and and uh, a player with with bags of of potential and ability but we've questioned whether or not he is able to kind of take his chances and um be smart and kind of be uh like ferocious maybe if that's the word with the ball like he maybe dribbles the ball out too much and doesn't take a shot when he should or doesn't try to play in a ball when he should and and in this past game particularly like the cross to test show like his ability to kind of interplay with uh, Mauricio Pereira and and get a really good chance that, you know, if it wasn't Luis Robles in net, like he very easily might have put that away. It, I think it was more so a decent save personally than than it was, uh, you know, a bad finish. Yeah. Um, and 
say you know he just he had like a couple like lucky goals or, or something like that or he had a favorable uh, opposition then I think it's fair to be like oh, maybe we should still kind of resign him to the super sub role which we do know he provides a lot of value from but Chris Mueller is 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 evolving as a player I feel like in uh, last podcast I said like I think that there's like a real discussion to talk about whether or not he is taking that that next step as a player which a lot of young players don't um he seems to be better with his decision making. His off the ball movement is really good. His his interplay with, you know, with our really good midfield players like Mauricio Pereira and Nani is is improving, and um, he's starting to kind of take his chances more and and make better decisions with the ball at his feet. Or you know, as I just said, if he's off the ball, he's starting to become a better player. So, and, and especially with with the right sided wide player or or, or whatever, like I, I feel like all three of them kind of like will find themselves on different sides of the field. Like even Chris Mueller, like with that chance that Robo saved, he found himself on the left side of the field. Just other than Nani, we don't really have anyone claiming the wide spot. And I think Chris Mueller is starting to make a claim that I should be that guy that starts every game and I should play at the very least 70 minutes and I can provide a lot for this team. So I really want to see him start now. Like, like I'm way more kind of dead set on that than I was at the beginning of the season when I was a little more open to maybe Benji or even giving Rubinho a bit of a go. But, you know, Rubinho has been poor. But yeah, Chris Mueller, I'm full set. Like, I think he should be one of the first names on the team sheet other than the obvious guys, in my opinion. Yeah, I think uh, the difference is, is last season, he had that little spell early on where he'd come off the bench, he'd create that spark, and he's done it throughout his whole career. Come off the bench, create that spark, get a goal, get an assist, impact the game, and then he'd start uh, the next match either on the bench and do it again, or he'd start the next match in terms of starting in the 11 and then be pretty bang average. Um, and so and so I think that people weren't ready for him to be in the starting lineup, and he probably wasn't himself ready to be in the starting lineup. The difference here is he started this game and was honestly one of our best players. He went 30 for 31 in his passing. Uh, he barely gave the ball Ooh. away. And the only time he only the only time he gave the ball away is, I believe, off of a goal kick or a clearance. He tries to flick it on to Dom Dwyer or somebody, and uh, he doesn't get enough oomph on it. And uh, the flick goes to a, a inner Miami player. That's it. Yeah, that's actually than, that's, a, that's a fantastic yeah. set. And I think it's kind of like a testament to how he's evolved i don't think we would have seen that like near like 100 percent passing accuracy from chris Mueller last year like he would have found himself in trouble and and tried to play out and he wouldn't have been able to and he had a lot of body he and he had a lot of bodies around him mm. like there were multiple times when he had three people on him and he would get the ball out of pressure and find mm -hmm. that pass so the thing is if we drop him that is a confidence killer that totally just why why do you play so hard and and I know it's a team sport but why do you play so hard why do you why are you the best player on the pitch just to get dropped the next match when if he's match fit he should be starting you know yeah what definitely I'll oh, oh, go ahead Adam. you know what I love about Chris Mueller he tries stuff and you can absolutely see that Chris Mueller is a massive Ronaldo fan you can see it in how he plays <laughs> like like who else Obviously, Nani scored some impressive goals. Who else on Orlando City in the past few years can you think of that has scored as many technically difficult goals as Chris Mueller has? Yeah, yeah. bro has it in his locker. Like he's he does. He's not just like that like quick player that can maybe get on the end of something. Like he he's can hit from outside his the shots. Box. Yeah, he he's a good player. And like that finish in the Colorado game, 
was it's ludicrously nasty. difficult. It was a fantastic finish. It was lovely. Yeah, he. I, I think he's becoming more of a complete player. And I, yesterday, I, yeah. or not yesterday, but the past game was a complete, uh, complete performance. My bad, Adam. Go ahead. I've said that in the past that he needs to mature as a player. I, I think his main problem was, and we we know his, his effort is fantastic, but he didn't know when to necessarily conserve energy. So when he would start, he would he would go balls to the wall from the from the first whistle, and then he would run out of energy quickly because he's human, and you can't sprint for you cannot keep sprinting for ninety minutes. It just doesn't work. So I think he's matured as a player to know when to pick his moments a little more and when to to play with his hair on fire and when to, you know, jog and recoup his energy a little bit. And, and I think now that he's starting to understand that, we're seeing that he can quickly become one of the best players on the team. And it's not like this lineup is particularly hard to break into. Mm-hmm. For those of you who do watch MLS in whole and not just Orlando City, a great equivalent to what Chris Mueller could become is Jordan Morris. Yeah. Jordan Morris can come off the bench and create a spark. He did it earlier this season. He scored two goals and they won, They uh, came back and won the game uh, against Chicago Fire. Um, or he can start and have an impact like he did in the MLS playoffs uh, in their run to the playoffs. Uh, and I think Chris Mueller, that is, that's his ceiling. That's where he can get to. He can be Jordan Morris, who is potentially really a U.S. men's national team player. I don't watch U.S. men's national team that much, but I'm pretty sure Jordan Morris has gotten a couple call-ups, right? Yeah, he's pretty much, he's arguably like on the right side. He's like pretty much a first team player, especially because Way is not healthy. Yeah, so, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mueller, Mueller, uh, Mueller, that's his ceiling. That's where he can get to. That's his potential. Yeah, it's it's he's been talked about for at the very least like a January call up where, you know, that roster is pretty much exclusively uh, MLS and like North American based players. And uh, this past game was like one of the first games where I watched him play and I didn't I didn't see him as like a young guy that we just got from the draft not too long ago who has a lot of heart. Like I, I felt like he was like he was like a player, you know what I'm saying? Like and like I don't mean player like he's just some guy like he is like a he's a for real like. Uh, in relative to the MLS, like he's a really good player. Yeah. Plus he is. Uh, plus Greg Burhalter's at the tournament, watching all the games. All right. For the next question, this one's going to go to you, Daniel. Uh, David sent uh, David Valentin at OC underscore Lion uh, sent us a very very interesting um, clip from Matt Doyle, and I think it was Weeby as well who he was talking to. Um, so I'll, I'm just going to play the clip, and then Daniel, I'm going to ask you your thoughts on it. It's ridiculous. The, the pretending like it's. Not going to be a rivalry. Okay. Yeah. There's no pretending here. I'm just keeping my no, hands clean, I'm saying, man. I'm not saying you. I'm, I'm saying the Orlando City fans in particular are so, like, touchy about this stuff. Like, of course you're going to be a rivalry with you in Miami. If, if you're not a rivalry with Miami, it means you have another situation, like with Atlanta, where your team failed to win in this same single oh, game. Oh, no, don't do that. For three or four years. So if you want to yell at somebody about rivalries don't yell at andrew weeby about it yell at your team tell your team to go out there and get a dub for once against their next door neighbor how about that i appreciate that thing is with the clip first of all is you know matt Dell likes a good wind up we know this yeah, i think he'll say whatever he can uh, to stoke a fire and to to wind Orlando fans up and to be honest a lot of them take the bait you know he probably lives for the attention that he gets and as respected as he is 
you know, in the sporting community, I mean, that's just what it does. It's negative attention can be still good, correct? So, um, as for the comments on the rivalries, I've never been a fan of MLS rivalries. I feel as if they are manufactured to a degree and it's a case of people being told that this is your rival versus an actual rivalry occurring. And I'd say the Orlando into Miami rivalry itself could have the potential to be a natural rivalry. I mean, you've already had the the dramatic first game and, and such. You've got the, obviously, the proximity between the two teams is a factor. I personally don't consider Atlanta a rival, and that's, I'll be in an mi- absolute minority of that, but they're a team that's seven hours away, so as annoying as Doyle is, he's not completely wrong in everything he says. Um, you know, even New York could be more of a rival to Orlando than Atlanta, but you know that's just a different discussion for another day. I, I, uh, I think it's a wind up, and the best thing you can do, honestly, is just ignore him, if it's possible. <laughs> I don't think Matt Doyle is like a. I, I think he's a smart guy, especially when it comes to soccer. But I also think he's very much like a, like it's like state-run media type. Like he's like an MLS guy, yeah. and um, he he's in the mindset, like Daniel said, where like he wants to kind of peddle these kind of rivalries because rivalries are, are good for, for viewership in sports. And if you can stir up kind of some kind of negative emotion against a team, it just makes things more interesting. But I think talking about rivalries in the manner that we do and, and just fans do in general is, is when it comes to soccer, it's very just innately American. Like it's so inorganic and, and kind of fake. And I think it ties into like the culture conversation that we've had about soccer. Like, I'm I'm honestly, and I'm not talking about like fans uh, in particular, and like I'm not singling anybody out, obviously, but I'm not necessarily the hugest fan of the culture that we have going in America because it it just kind of feels like we're trying to be something that we're not, and we always try to force things a certain way. Um, you know, like like a, obviously a team in state, like because we are in the state, it's similar to where like say my school UCF, like if we played FAU. Like, they're not USF, which we have somewhat of a rivalry with, like a genuine one, but they're still in-state. So we're going to feel a little bit of like, like a, oh, we want to beat this team. We want to stake our claim mm-hmm. to being the best team in the state. And that's fair. But I don't necessarily know if that's just kind of a rivalry. Like, that's just kind of a, a, a normal thing that would happen in any sport. Like, the way that we talk about rivalries is just is, is a little weird to me because they should just happen. Like, like what, and, and, and honestly, Daniel, I kind of disagree with you talking about is Atlanta maybe our rival? Because I, 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 I don't know about y'all, but I really actually kind of do feel like a dislike for some of Atlanta's players, at least on like a sporting level, obviously, like, you know, I have no ill will against them. Yeah, person, I, but, I've got, but, I've got complete apathy towards Atlanta. They yeah. do not affect me. I don't care about Atlanta. I really don't like Obviously, they're a good team. Obviously, they've, they're successful. But the little games, the the behavior, it just honestly, I just don't care. Like I, I invest so little emotion in hating other teams, and I put my emotion into supporting my teams. That's yeah, what I, I do. That's me as a fan. I am crazy for my teams, but I'm not. I don't give a donkey. You know what? <laughs> I'm not going to say the F word. Yeah. I don't want to get us another rating, but I don't give it a donkey F about Atlanta. Just like I don't you know, I am. Mean, it really doesn't matter. Like to me, I just I feel as if going back to your point, Chase, about it being a manufactured rivalry. The way I equate it in my mind is when a girl goes to a new school 
and she decides to try and get in with the Mingos. So she follows what the Mingos say she should do to become <laughs> part of that group and start hitting everybody else. Not because she wants to, but because she wants to be seen as part of the same group. And I feel like it's uh, it's the same concept with the MLS teams. It's like, well, hang on a second. We need a southeast rivalry, so, oh, let's, um, let's piss off the Orlando fans. Let's Yet. piss off the Miami fans and let's see if we can get them to dislike each other. And, and in the end, I mean, it might work for some, but, you know, in the, in the football that I've followed for my entire life, those rivalries existed long before social media, long, long before hyperbole and, and this corporate you know, way of trying to get rivalries to, to manufacture. They were just naturally there. And it's, it's just a different culture. I mean, maybe I've grew up with rivalries a different way to, to a lot of fans here, but I honestly couldn't give a, a whatever about Atlanta and yeah. about those teams. I just can't. I just can't drill up the emotion to actually care. Like, I just don't care. And I, I feel, I feel a similar way towards Miami, especially because Miami, like, they didn't obviously exist until this year. So I don't necessarily know. I mean, that this is even a different conversation, but I don't know how you can feel so passionately about a team like being as a fan. Like, I get being a fan, but some of them act like they're like die hard, like it's the biggest thing of their life. But like, it didn't exist, and like theoretically, you just can't feel that emotion. It's true. It just it, that 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 personally is just manufactured. I think that more just kind of stems from people wanting to to feel like they're a part of something, which which I can partially understand. It's but, peer pressure, like, isn't it? So yeah. So I, I have a few things here. Like uh, the first, real quick, didn't I drop like six f bombs in a row on the last episode? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we already got. Pretty sure I did. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but the second thing is. I think that rivalry, so it, particularly in modern professional sports, um, generally, I mean, and there are some exceptions, but as a general rule, the players on the, the teams, particularly like, especially in modern sports, players are moving through two different teams in the same league so much that there's, a, there's a, you have friends, if you're on a team, you have friends on the team you're playing, almost as a rule. And so it's really hard. I mean, obviously you have the motivation to want to win and you're a professional and you have that competitive spirit, but it's hard to hate the other team as a player. Mm. And I've heard this from professionals in every single sport. So I don't think that those kind of rivalries, unless there is some injustice done on the field, like someone made a dirty play and injured a star player or something like that's different. But as far as just regional rivalries, like no, no Orlando player hates the Miami player because they're from Miami. That being said, rivalries are for the fans. They're a hundred percent for the fans. They're not. Yeah, for especially now. And I think they're fun. And you cannot tell me that the Miami fans haven't acted like little shits for the past <laughs> four months longer, and that you didn't want to just maybe. Daniel, I get that you you are all for supporting your team. You don't care about other fans and other teams. And I respect that. And that is a totally valid way to be a fan. And that is your right 100% to do that. That's not how most people are. And that's kind of not how I am. Yeah, and that's okay. Enough. Everyone can enjoy the sport differently. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I haven't engaged so much because it's kind of silly for them to talk and not having won a game and not having played a game at that some points. It's kind of silly for them to talk so much just to assume they're going to be like the next Atlanta. But man, sometimes you just want to slap them. 
Yeah. I just feel bad for you, him. You just want to be like, come here, come here. I got something for you. You know, right. you, you just, it, it, there's something there where they're just irritating and they get under your skin a little bit and that's fun. You know, it kind of, it, it gets you amped up for the game and, and you can't tell me that beating Miami wasn't, it's not the same as like if we beat RSL, it's just not. And, and you know, growing up in Orlando, there's kind of that, you know, everyone who has lived in Florida for a long time is kind of partial to their part of Florida. People from Miami are like, oh, Miami's the best. It's the big city. People from Orlando are like, yeah, no, Miami's not that great. We have like the best balance, everything. Then people from Tampa are just like, oh, oh look at us. We have the perfect life. And, and, you know, Daytona is just, well, these kids would be very offended if they could read, you know, that meme. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, the different parts of Florida have that just natural like, oh, our area of Florida is the best. And I think that translated to uh, the banter that's been going on between Orlando and Miami fans. And similarly, Atlanta fans. I mean, come on, man. No, yeah, Atlanta. It's so easy to hate Atlanta fans. Yeah, I don't want to like. I don't necessarily feel it for Miami. Like, and like, I'm. I very well might in like two years. When absolutely, I think it'll be playing a little bit in two years. But Atlanta, like, genuinely, they do kind of, kind of like, and it's not like I, I take it personally or anything like that. It's, it's definitely more in a sporting sense. But like when Josef Martinez, like. He says that like he fathers us as a club or something like that, or like mm. you know he taunts the fans and things like that. Like that's where most of my genuine like disdain and you know like I said like it's disdain as as much as I can feel for someone who just happens to play in a different soccer team. But but he does he you know kind of disrespects something that I'm passionate about. Not to get all you I know. Remember, uh, remember the game where we were like where uh, a bunch of people on the wall and around the stadium honestly threw stuff on the field. So yeah. after that game, I was at, actually in the wall for that game. I did not throw anything. I did, did not approve of that, but, you know, I was under... You didn't throw a sandwich I'm, on there, did you? Oh, no. <laughs> I wouldn't waste a perfectly good sandwich like that. <laughs> but, uh, no, so I, like, but obviously I was angry after that game. But uh, actually after I was, as I was walking out of the stadium with my friends, I actually had to run into them. Well, I didn't have to, but I did. I ran into the middle of a fight. That was like it was a brawl that was going on between like five or six people between like some Atlanta fans and some some Orlando fans. Like when you're coming to blows with opposite sets of fans, you there's can't tell me there. there's nothing there. Yeah. And, and conversely, like I actually have like a very similar story where like maybe it was a, it was maybe either last season or a season before that. But like it was in the stadium in like section two. There are some fans in the corner flag for Atlanta. They're being and, and Atlanta fans at games. I mean, I'm not down with generalizing people, but I mean, it's just, it's soccer, like it's whatever. But like, they, they are a little bit annoying, like I'm not going to lie. And these people were being like kind of generally disrespectful, like they were standing in like the pathway and, and just doing things like that, like you you typically shouldn't and can't do it at a, at a stadium. And like security was trying to get a handle of them and they weren't. And then they got ejected. And yeah, like two people came like chest to chest, like right by me. And I mean, I was like 17 and freaking, if anyone can see me, I'm a little... I'm not I'm not the biggest guy in the world, but I tried to like break it up. But like there are people willing to willing to fight about about the club. And and even one of the Atlanta fans, like I'm not making this up, I swear to God, he got arrested. Like I, I'm I'm sure he got let out of handcuffs and just went on his way home after the game. But yeah, like I, that that's partially why I think there definitely is something there with Atlanta. But but and, and I know we gotta kind of get off this topic, but bringing it back to the um you know, the initial question talking about the rivalry with Miami. 
it's like that's just what MLS does. Like, like I get feeling a little bit of annoyance at their fans because they're talking on Twitter, and and there's the in-state rivalry kind of uh, built in to an extent. It's like I don't feel that yet, just because that that would be way too manufactured, and nothing has really happened for that that's it, for it to make me feel that way personally. And 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 I feel like that's not the case with Atlanta. And there there have been things to kind of make this rivalry happen, and I, I think that I just wish. Because maybe for the short run, it would be good to kind of post, like, to, to be able to be like, oh, this is the Florida rivalry. Like, people should watch this because of that. But I think it's going to harm MLS in the long run because everything is just going to feel just a little bit fake, maybe. And I feel like you should maybe let just rivalries just, just develop. And maybe a team doesn't have too much of a of a blood rival for the next couple seasons. But if they eventually naturally develop someone where there is kind of a hopefully – a sportsmanship but but there is a little bit of disdain it's it's much better for for everyone involved because it does add a, a, an interesting element to the game and things like that and it makes it feel real it makes it feel bigger than uh than you know what it really is which is which is just a sport it's it's the most important unimportant thing and and that just adds a an interesting element to it all right well let's move on from that topic um i'm looking through my questions here i'm not sure if we have many other serious ones uh I, I guess this from at hate a gate uh he says okay is dk getting close to all the action or any reports on him question mark thanks um uh like we, we like See we said last, last time yeah um probably not uh we, there's too many people in front of him in the lineup we're gonna let him uh sit on the bench get a couple minutes here and there i assume uh that would be about as close to the action as he gets all right some non-serious questions real quick at hate a gate again he says what color is north london adam it is lily white <laughs> Isn't i said great? i would talk about every single question we talked about it let's move on hey wait, real <laughs> fast daniel daniel i got a question who is who is uh top of the league right now and looking to go to the premier league <laughs> Uh, you'll get me giggling like a schoolgirl. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, big boys leads. Come oh, on, yep. Leeds United. That's where they should be. <laughs> Fingers crossed, we're going to make it over the line. So, I'll be nervous oh. wrecking off for the next few days. I, I just want to hear. I just want to hear Gavin say it though. Gavin, what color is North London? Uh, it's red. Uh, but you're so wrong. I don't care if we didn't beat you <laughs> once this season or last season. I don't. I don't care. Look, so wrong. We're the bigger club <laughs> historically. Uh, hey, yeah, keep telling yourself that. Tell me once you've won the league at our ground. All right. And David at OC underscore Lion says the second question is where are all those Miami fans who lived in our timeline for the last decade? Um, they have shrunk, except for that one account who was like talking smack right after the game. And then the next day was like Orlando. Uh, at me, you guys deserve your win. Did you guys see that guy? Oh um, yeah, I saw you, that. That guy's pathetic. You can't, you can't freaking tuck your tuck your tail between your legs and like like he was talking for real, like a little bit of smack and he's just gonna gonna go back on it. That's a that, that's a little weak, you know. And anyone who has to have their Twitter account imitate their club to get clout, mm -hmm. fucking pathetic, dude. <laughs> Grow up. All oh, right, 
Well, that should just about cover it, guys. Please don't let, hesitate to let us know your predictions for the NYCFC match and, of course, your thoughts on our thoughts. I will obviously always be responding and letting you guys know uh, what I think on what you've said. Uh, that's the reason I created this. I just love the interaction with you guys. Uh, don't forget to leave a five-star review. Uh, don't forget to do the survey linked in the description. Daniel, where can our listeners find you at? On Twitter, it's uh, Bucketman1982 and... Instagram, Ellendroder82. Up the leads. Chase, where can our listeners find you at? You can find me at Twitter at VamosOCSC, and that's my PSN. I've been waiting for someone to uh, to take the challenge. Florida Esmorada. And Adam, where can our listeners find you at? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at KosherTacoTruck. All right. And, co- of course, come on, you gunners. As always, thanks for listening. Coice. And we'll catch you on the next one. Won't you follow me? Here, Nani gets in behind. Here's Nani with a chip. It's 1-1.